Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello everyone, welcome to the Roker Report. This episode finds us on the back of a board draw with Burnley in the third round of the FA Cup and a week away from hosting Stoke City at Stadium of Light. I'm joined as ever by some of the lads from the Roker Report. With us today we have Gav, how you doing buddy? Um, fine mate, couldn't right. be better. Couldn't be better, what about you Tom? Yeah, good pal, you? Yeah, yeah, not bad actually, not doing too bad for a change, <laughs> not thoroughly depressed. James, what about you mate, how you going? Nursing a bit of a cold, but we're alright, we power through don't we? We power through. That's the spirit. <laughs> right, well, let's get started briefly with Burnley then. I mean, uh, Gav, you were there on Saturday, and for most mm. of it was it wasn't exactly a classic. Is that fair to say? Um, I, like I say, I was saying, tears off chat. I, I was I was spoiled by being um, looked after for the day in corporate. If it wasn't for that, I think I might have left at half-time. Like, uh, it was just dire. I mean... For the worrying thing from my perspective was that was probably our strongest team, and they didn't give a great account for themselves. I mean, I know, I know the magic of the cup and all that is is often thrown around, and I, I do like the cup myself, but I, I got the impression that they weren't throwing everything at it. I mean, David Moyes after the game on the radio actually said um, he kind of flitted, he, he kind of um, flitted between and, and cancelled himself out. Well, he said he. He said, like, oh, neither team really went for it, but we really wanted to win the game. And I was like, well, I don't know about that, like, David, from the way your team's just played. Like, <laughs> a lot of the players were holding back. And, I mean, the, the positive, I suppose, is that nobody comes out of the game injured. Um, Jason Denier was absolutely superb at centre-half. Um, were two centre midfield players, Love and Rodwell, played pretty well. Um, but as a game of football, it was shocking. Like, neither team came out that well. And, yeah. and really, the... The, the the big take out of it is that um, he didn't really give a chance to anybody else, which is what we were all hoping for. We were all hoping to see one or two of the youngsters and obviously none of them came on. And I guess the question from that is, you know, did he do that on purpose to prove a point? I don't know. But the, I mean, in terms of performance, it was just very, very poor. And if we play like that against Stoke at that kind of pace... Um, we're not going to get anything from the game. I think. I think the fact it was Burnley's, Burnley made a few changes, and the fact it was them, their away form, shocking, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, I'm not. I wasn't impressed. Like, I wasn't impressed at all. Well, touching on that, I'm, we're on Twitter. We've got um, Jr. asking, "Why do you think Moyes refused to play some youth against Burnley?" So, touching on what you just said there, why do you think that is? 
Um, I do think it was to prove a point. I, I mean, we, we have heard rumblings that he doesn't rate any of them, which did shock me when I heard it. Um, I was told kind of... Um, I was told in private that that's the case. He doesn't rate um, <clears throat> any of the youngsters that he has available to him. Obviously, Pickford and Watmore and Gooch made their appearances this season. He clearly rates them. But the players I'm talking about are Mad Jarosoro, Honeyman, um, Elliot Embleton, Ethan Robson. You know, the, the ones you would expect to have been given a chance in some form yesterday. Um, they they never got a chance. Um, and, and like I say... I've been told, I don't know whether it's true or not, got no reason to doubt it, but being told he doesn't particularly rate any of those players. And you just say, for instance, he brings on Joel Osoro, he comes on, scores a goal or sets one up and makes a real impact. That's then um, That then gives the club, I suppose, bait to then say, well, do you really need any players in January, David? Because we've got these, these lads who are available already and, and they're clearly capable. You know, if he doesn't put them on the pitch, they can't show that they're, they're worth anything, and and then it, it obviously weakens his case if he does play them. Um, that would be my my stance on it. I don't think um, any of them are going to pull up any trees anytime soon. He doesn't really want to give them the opportunity to do so. The the O'Shea substitution was a strange one for me. I felt that um, whilst it gave us the chance to trial something throughout the back formation, which is what we played. That, that time period between O'Shea coming on the end of the game, um, <clears throat> we switched to a, a three at the back. And um, whilst that could be seen as a good thing, because we might have to do it this month, I mean, um, the lack of Ndong, the lack of, of Kone means that we have to um, try and shuffle the pack from time to time and find a way of playing with the players that we've got. Mm. Um, that wouldn't be... I don't, I don't think that's why he did it. I do think it's because he wanted to prove a point John O'Shea is the only senior player on the bench other than Mika, who, I don't know, his third choice isn't he, he wasn't going to play. Um, O'Shea was the only senior player on the bench, so he's the only one who got on. Um, he clearly doesn't think they're good enough. He's probably stressed this to Ellis Short and Martin Bain a number of times um, in, a, in order to prove that he does need new players and he does need fresh fresh blood. Um, and that was clearly a sign of that, even if he wouldn't admit it in public. I think if you spoke to him off the record, he would probably say that um, it's just a it's just a tactic, a bargaining tactic from him. Mm. Well, I, I I didn't I didn't see the game myself. I listened to uh, part of it on the radio and bored to death by uh, what I heard. But I guess if you look at the positives, it's one defeat in six at home. Um, that only defeat covered at Chelsea. We could have easily got a point there. Mm. Um, it it just seemed to me that both sides were in second gear. Um, it's disappointing to hear that the likes of Fabio Barini had an absolute shocker when, you know, he should be busting a gut to try and play himself into form um, and not taking these type of chances um, starting at home against a team with poor away form. Um, he was just, terrible, uh, mind James. He yeah. was really poor. Like, I mean, I'm a Fabio fan. I've got a lot of good memories of Fabio and and obviously what he's done for us over his time here, um, he, he does get a lot of leeway, I think, from our fans because of that, because people still yeah. remember the goals against Newcastle, the the goal in the run of the, the FA Cup final, and of course his goal in the FA Cup final. People give him a lot of time. Um, so I don't think when he's playing badly, he's going to necessarily get the criticism maybe that he, he deserves. I don't know if that's, that's I, I think that's a, he, I was going to say, I think that's a fair point, and it was actually going to be one of my questions to you. Is I think... 
Do you think without the sentimentality of some of the goals he's scored, do you think the fans that have been on his back, you know, a lot more? Because actually he does, I mean, he, he, he busts a gut and, he, and he, he does seem to try a lot of the time, but we mm. know he's capable. You know, we saw the goal at Old Trafford. I mean, that's, that's a touch of class. As a goal against, was it Palace at home last season out of nothing? Nick does a yeah. point. But it's it's... It's few and far between, isn't it? Really, let's yeah. be honest. Well, he, yesterday, for instance, um, it was pretty much him at his worst. I don't think I've ever seen him play that bad. He, he was, he was trying. He was trying to force the issue. He, he, he did work hard, um, but it was a case of whenever he got the ball, his decision making was shocking. He wouldn't pass it. When he did try to pass it, it often went wrong. Um, to be honest, he did probably come up with the best pass of the game, but that was pretty much the only highlight. Um, he played um, Mankewen behind the the defence, which should have resulted in a goal. It was a nice little pass, which Mankew ran on the end of, and all he had to do was square it at Defoe, who was maybe five yards out, and instead of doing that, Mankew totally overhit the pass. It went out for a throw on the other side, and Defoe kind of just jumped through the air trying to get something on it. Um, that was probably the best bit of play of the game. Barini obviously set that away, but other than that, he was appalling. He, and his attitude was poor. I, I, I remarked to my friend, I was with my friend at the game, and I said to him, look look at what he's doing. And you, I was, say for instance, Patrick Van Anholt was playing in Defoe. <clears throat> you know that Defoe isn't going to pass when he's around the box. If he does, it's because he's got his back to goal and it's probably easier to do so. Nine times out of ten, though, Defoe's going to try and get a shot away. Um, and I was noticing whether, whenever that happened, he was throwing his arms up, head down, he was jogging back. Um, his attitude was all wrong. And, to be honest, it was it, it had an impact on the game exactly. because he he wasn't an influence. Clear... Yeah, I mean that's sorry, sorry. So I was going to say that. I mean it's it's so it's so surprising and disappointing to hear because I mean we've we've had such bad things to say about Adnan Yanazai um, this season. But by all accounts, I mean he, he was he didn't have the worst of games, but I mean he, he was he was a lot better. I mean how did him and Defoe play? Because I thought this was a perfect chance for those two to to really kind of take the initiative. Uh, as I said before, but, uh, um, Burnley have terrible away form. It's, they've got, you've got to be doing better, haven't you, really? Well, th- their link-up was pretty much non-existent because our game plan was to hoof it long. It was poor. And I, I mean, when I say it was one of the worst games I've seen this season, I mean, I mean it like... I mean, we were, we were getting the ball at the back and Gillibodji was trying long diagonals, which... Uh, nobody was winning because we had no height up front. It was it was as though they were playing like and of was there when he wasn't. Um, and from the off, really, we were, we were just trying to punt it along. Vito Minone's kicking was shocking, which didn't help. So obviously you've got to imagine that when when Defoe and Yanazai are up there, if all they're doing is trying to pick up loose balls, they're not going to be very good. Um, that's, that's pretty much the way the game went for both of them, I thought. But one thing we were good at was picking up the second balls. The long balls were working to an extent because the Burnley players weren't getting near it. Barton was pretty much off the pace because he wasn't fit, um, which meant we, we were picking up the loose balls, but it, it wasn't a game that suited the players that we had. Yanazai, for me, did the best he could. I saw a little bit of criticism from after the game, and I thought out of every midfielder on the park, he probably deserved the least because what he was given was very little. Nobody was trying to feed him in when he was getting the ball. He wasn't getting a lot of support. Um, if you give him support, he's going to create chances, without a doubt. That uh, humping the ball up to uh, to no one that, that takes me back to Martin O'Neill. That was quite 
quite a nice refreshing throwback. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I just want to go back to what you said about Verini, and uh, you're very much right. He gets away with so much because he scored a few goals against Newcastle, and the stick that Yanazai gets is is some a lot. Sometimes it's warranted, but a lot of times it's over the top just because he's not our player. Whereas Barini will put in a performance. Like I didn't see it yesterday. I didn't even wa- I didn't listen to it. I watched two minutes on match of the day and he looked awful. So that was my extent of yesterday's match. But Barini's not been not been anywhere near as good as he should be this past weeks, months. And I just he's one of these players that does my it frustrates me so much because you know it's there, but it just flats to deceive, and he just never he seems to get away with criticism all the time. Well, the, the penalty, the penalty decisions. Sorry, the penalty decisions last week, where he wanted to take the penalties, um, was a prime example for me of, of what he's like at times. He can, it's it's very much about Fabio. Um, he is he does work hard and he is a good team player, but when it comes down to it, he does want all of the glory, and he does uh, like all good pros should I guess, but he, he it's often to his to his detriment. He, uh, I think it was a case yesterday. He wasn't releasing the ball quick enough, and he wasn't he wasn't being unselfish. Which, if he had have been, um, I think the game might have reflected better on him. He's a he's a far better player than he shows at times. He has got quality. I mean, that Man United game, for instance, when he scored that screamer, he was probably our worst player. And then he comes out with a moment of magic like that, and you just think, you know, if if you could if it could be less pig-headed at times, and, and I know it's they often say it's the Italian nature. Italians are very passionate people, and he. He does sometimes let that get the better of him. Um, but if he could just nip that in the bud and kind of realise his role in the team, he's not the main man. He never will be as long as Jermaine Defoe's there. Defoe's there. Um, if he realises his role in the team and and kind of goes, right, OK, I'm being asked to play in a position I'm not really happy with, but if it makes a team better, then fair enough, you know? That's what he's got to do. For me, though, I'm on I'm on the Barini bandwagon, a bit like you, Gav. Like I have a lot of sentimental uh, memories of him. But the reality of it is, for me, it's like we're turning around now and saying, oh, look at Yanazai compared to Barini. So how long has Yanazai been here? And remember just how vindictive we all were about Yanazai, because he was absolutely atrocious. He didn't want to be here. Oh, yeah, well, do you know what I mean? We this were talking... Well, we were talking just before Christmas on the air about sending him back, you know? Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Then the, but then, but then all of a sudden, the, he, he sort of... He, he, it switches it on, do you know what I mean? Or he settles in, maybe something like that. I mean, for me, I'm not saying that Barini's like the Bill Nendor, and I agree, I agree completely with what you said, Gav. Like, he needs to recognise his place in the team. But if he can't play in that position, if, if, if and he's, we're showing, or he's showing, and we're seeing constantly that he can't effectively contribute to the team in the way that, for example, now Yanazai can uh, in that wide area, then it's us. Obviously, it's still. It's to his discredit because he's a professional and he should just do play wherever he's told and he's a professional footballer, so he should be able to play in any position, technically speaking. But when he was used to scoring those big goals and being involved in those big matches, and there was more of a reliance on him because we were looking at like Fletcher and Danny Graham leading the line. Do you know what I mean? And there was Barini who came in. That I think that that certainly helped him. And like you say, as long as Defoe's there. He's never going to be the main striker unless Defoe gets injured. Hopefully not, touch wood. But with that in mind, is there actually any reason to keep him around? Because, uh, as I say, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. And I think, also, I think people's memories are a little bit hazy when you consider his, his actual work rate 
like last year and the amount of times he was pretty much on the goal line to defend, do you know what I mean? The, things like that. It, it wasn't just a case of, oh, I'll take the ball, run it past 10 people and then score. That isn't his mentality. So I, I think he's not forgetting that he's been shit since he came back after injury. Do you know what I mean? That, that's the reality of it. He got injured and this happens all the time in the modern game. Players get injured and they never quite pick up that form again for the rest of the year, rest of the season. So that's, that's my two cents on that. What do you reckon, James? Uh, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, like, but I mean, he's, he's for me, he's had enough time to get fully fit. Um, since he's come back, he's not offered enough, really. Um, he's he's had very very few moments where he's shown his quality. And if you're looking at the Stoke game, um, if if and hopefully, fingers crossed, Victor needs to be fit. I think Fabio drops out. I think where. Yes, Adnan Yanazai can be frustrating, and I'm going to completely contradict what I said earlier on. Uh, must be a month ago where we were all slating into high heaven, but you can see at times that Burnley away is a, a fine example of a game where Sunderland were absolutely abysmal, but Yanazai picked out a phenomenal ball to Defoe that led to a goal. I mean, Baruni did, did bugger all that entire match. I think when you're looking at the Stoke game, I think he... I would all. I think Baruni should probably drop out, and if if an be fit, I'd certainly bring him back in. Mm. Well, I'll just do a quick one on that. Note, just sticking with Baruni for a second. If the worst happened, and as I say, touch wood, it doesn't, and the foe got injured, and we couldn't rely purely on be to lead the line in that central striker role, do we think we get anything out of Baruni? Do we think that that would actually improve his work rate? It would make him think more, feel more. Well, Important it's where he will get a benefit. It's where he wants to play. I mean, that's he gives it big licks that he's that he's a, he's the main man. He's a striker, but mm. the problem is, he's, his goal scoring record clearly suggests that he's that he that he can't play down the middle. I mean, maybe he hasn't had a, a fair crack at it, but he still he flatters to Eve when he's in front of goal. I mean, the the one chance he did have against Liverpool was was a fairly decent half chance, in my opinion, where he had the rebound from Defoe's one-on-one and he completely skewed it. And other than the the goal other than the goal against Man United, I actually struggle to think of when he's been clinical in front of goal. Yeah. I mean, the game of goal against United was out and out, wasn't it, really? I mean, against um, the, the game, the Premier League game at the weekend, I mean, you think he skinned a few players and you think, hit it, hit it, hit it. And he keeps holding the ball, holding the ball. And maybe he lacks a bit of confidence of that. But for me, um, I I don't think he's good enough to play down the middle. Mind, I will, I will say, um, I will say that he played quite well against Liverpool. Like to, to be fair to him, I thought he was really up for that game. Maybe that's what it is. Sometimes when he plays with a chip on his shoulder, he's a little bit better. Um, he obviously felt like he had something to prove against Liverpool because those, they are there. Well, that's his old team, and he was diving into tackles Barini when, um, when obviously I don't think he would usually do so. Um, he wanted to take the penalties, probably to show that he, you know, he's got something to offer. He wanted to, he wanted to prove that he's a goal scorer to his old team. Maybe I don't know. There was definitely something edgier about him against Liverpool. Um, there's all, there was something edgier about him when he scored that goal against Palace because if you remember. Um, Sam Allardyce wasn't picking him, and when he scored, he ran straight to the bench and celebrated in front of him. Was, exactly, you know, that's right. what I can do. Exactly when he right. when he when he's got a chip on his shoulder, he's a better player. Um, somebody mentioned in our chat, our report chat that we have off, obviously on WhatsApp. Someone mentioned that 
um, he's kind of playing like somebody who hasn't got someone to contend with in his place. So I do, um, I do feel you've got a point there. If I know we haven't got a lot of options, but um, when we play Stoke, it might be worth putting him on the bench just to remind him, look, you're not indispensable. Mm. Um, his performance was shocking at the weekend, like, but he's allowed an off day, I suppose. But at the same time, um, this game at the weekend is very important to us, and um, if you were if you had a fully fully fit squad, you would think seriously about dropping him on the back of the way he played against Burnley. He was really poor. Talking about him being clinical, everything his finishing just summed up um, against it was against West Ham last season, and we're flying, we're two two nil up, and we had that glorious chance. We went through. He skinned a few players, went through on goal, and then completely fluffed it. And that's just that shows that he's not this kind of uh, like clinical striker. And I wouldn't be very confident if, say, uh, Defoe got injured and we had to play him through the middle. Like he's more. I think he's more suited as a wing pl- winger slash um, attacking a wide attacking midfielder because he just doesn't score enough goals. And the ones he has scored, that, that one against Palace, I think he just leathered it and hoped for the best. I don't think there was any kind of thought process going through his head. Just, I just think he's... You know, nice. Well, if you, look, <laughs> if you look at that, he's, you look at that goal, he's not looking at it. He's not nah. looking at the goal. And he's hit that as hard as he possibly can. And he's flown in the bottom corner. And I was amazed when that had gone in. And I well, bet he was too. But, oh, but I've, he's had a couple like that. I remember his cup final goal was a similar type of strike. I mean, no, it, was a bit, it was a bit easier to score. More, no, he seemed to know what he was him. doing there. Yes, yeah. he does See, like it, he does like it coming off the right and use the outside of his boot. Though he actually did it yesterday, and he was quite unlucky. Um, it was straight out the keeper, like, but he do, it seems to be something he likes to do. He likes to cut inside, then use the outside of his right boot, trying to go across the keeper into the in the bottom corner. But I mean, I, you could sit all night debating whether he meant that or not. I remember doing it at the time. Yeah. I just don't think he's very good. <laughs> That's the main issue we're going with here. I just don't think he's very good. Fair and enough. if someone went to if someone went to me, you could sell him for eight million. And be like, yeah, see you in a bit, lad. Yeah, probably would now at this stage. I suppose That's where we're at. Well, talking about players who have uh, staggeringly, well, become staggeringly worse over the time we've had them. We've been looking at Rodwell recently, haven't we? Again, I wasn't at the game, but. Have you were? What is this? What's with this resurgence of Jack Rodwell that seems to be happening slowly but surely? Um, I don't know, but I like it. Yeah. It'd be nice from the. To, I think he's he's bound to start against Stoke. Um, if he can get a win, that's just going to lift the curse and maybe do him a favour. He's come back looking a much better player. Like I, I'm, I'm his biggest detractor. I really do not rate him. I think he's since he's came here, he's been awful. He could probably count his good games on two fingers. Um, He's been very poor. Well, maybe one. I remember. I remember him having a couple when he first came, and then since he's come back from injury, he's been fairly decent. He he, he ran the show for me against um, who was it at home? Liverpool. Uh, I thought. I thought first half he dictated the game quite well. We played with a four four two, which isn't like us, and there's more responsibility on the central players in a four four two. And I thought Rodwell was trying to dictate a lot of the play. He was being clever with his passes. He wasn't scared to shoot. Um, yesterday was pretty much the same. Um, in terms of his first half was a lot better than his second. He obviously burnt out more towards the end of the game because of his fitness, but he did complete a full 90, which is great from our point of view. Um, he had probably four or five strikes from distance, all with his left foot, which was a bit strange. Um, but he had probably four or five strikes from distance, and each one of them got closer. Um, his first one, couple flew over, 
and then I think his last one stung Tom Heaton's hands. Um, he was very unlucky not to score, um, but he seems to just be playing with a bit more confidence. Strangely, um, I know I know that um, on another show, Nick Barnes, the the BBC Newcastle commentator, he he mentioned that um, that David Moyes doesn't actually rate Rodwell. Um, for him to come out and say that probably means it's true, um, but at the same time, David Moyes hasn't got a lot to play with, so he's got to use him. So really, the the ball's in Jack Rodwell's court now, isn't it? He's got to, he's got to prove his worth to the club. He's pretty much on his last life in, on my book. Like, if he doesn't impress in this little run, because um, he's bound to get injured again. So if he, if he, if he's probably going to get a four or five game stretch. If he doesn't impress us in this, probably game over for him. Like, um, but to be honest, he's been really good the last two games. We've got to give him credit, and if he can pull out another kind of performance like he has done uh, against Stoke. It's going to ease the burden because we were all worried about what the impact of losing Ndong would be. We all thought that um, losing him for a couple of weeks was probably going to be detrimental to how we're playing. But to be honest, last two games, can't fault the lad. It's, it's his partner, Seb Lawson, I'm more worried about. Um, is, is he anyone that David Moyes does rate? We've gone <laughs> well, the entire academy the club, no. Rodwell. It's, it's, <laughs> mad, though, it? it's mad, though, isn't it? It's mad, is well, even when Victor Anitubi was playing well, the first thing he would do was like, "Well, he's not a twenty million pound striker, you know. You've got to, we've got to realise that nobody else came in for him. He, he does like a temper that, and he? he doesn't really like to admit he likes somebody. It's strange. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know about. I, he seems to like Donald Love. He seems to like young players actually. Don't, don't we yeah. all like Donald Love? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you know what it is though? Right, he was really good again yesterday, but he played centre midfield. Um, he's brilliant because he's brilliant. That's why I think I think he's better than people have given credit for. Like his his distribution of the ball is pretty good. He, um, that was the one thing I enjoyed about watching him yesterday. It was it was pretty much him against Barton and Barton couldn't get near him, um, which was promising. Yeah, well, Joey Joe Barton looked like he was carrying a bit of weight, and you could tell he hasn't played in a while. But Donald Love ran rings around him. He was brilliant. He's he's a lot better passer of the ball than, than people perhaps thought. Um, we're probably going to see that coming up. You know. One thing I'd, I'd I'd be wary against someone when looking back at someone like Jack Rodwell and and maybe with Donald Love as well is anyone who who stands out in a game like Saturday it appears that Burnley weren't out of second gear and either were we so you know if Jack Rodwell imposed himself on this game that's all very well and good but he had he had forty good minutes against Liverpool um, I wouldn't count a chicken like I think as you said if, as you said Gab if he doesn't impose himself against Stoke on Saturday. I mean, it's his last chance for me. I mean, he, to be fair, he's already had his last chance in my book. I think he's absolutely awful. But like maybe the 40 minutes against Liverpool where he was half decent shows he could maybe step into Didier and Dong's shoes because I guess with the size Rodwell has, he, if he gets about the park a lot, you know, he could probably fill that void. But the issue... As you said, Gav, we may have is I think with Sam Larson. Um, I think Fonty. we're talking about we, how bad Barini was. He was on par. Like we actually got a question cool. about that uh, from yeah. Jack on Twitter. Do you think Sebastian Larson is consistent enough to keep a first team place when Not the at competition all. comes in? Nah, I, I mean, think he... I think I'll I'll just briefly go over what he, the way he played yesterday. I mean, since he come back and he came back in the side against um, Leicester, didn't he? The second half. And he played quite well for me. He changed the game up. Him and Kirchhoff coming on made a bit of a difference. Since then, he's 
got worse. He was very, very poor yesterday. We're talking about Barini. He was just as bad like Larson. Decision-making all over the place. Not really getting near anybody. I mean, like I say, for Rodwell and Love to stand out more than he did in a central midfield performance just shows you kind of how bad he was. Um, I think he's he's got a we've got to we've got to kind of remember Larson's place for the last couple of years. He's not really been a part of the team. He's now all of a sudden first choice due to injuries. Um, that's got to be kept in mind because really, I mean, he's not very good. He's not very good at all. He, he's the kind of player that you want to bring on when you're winning a game and you need somebody to run around and, and cover space. But when he's starting matches in the Premier League, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle yeah. big time well, for you me. Him, James, uh, so I can hear you chomping at the bit there and wait to, yeah. <laughs> wait to have your say. I'd, I'd just say that maybe Seb Larson's been one of these players who's become better when he's out of the side. You know, people's memories, they seem to... Th- Think of think that Seb Larson's this this man who covers miles and miles and miles, and he's got getting, quality on the ball. Getting Cal syndrome. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. But I mean, the man was decent a few years ago. He was. Um, he, he he moves the ball occasionally quite well. I mean, he's got decent passing skills. He's his dead balls are okay, um, but that's only one or two of them. On the whole, they've dropped dramatically over the last couple of seasons. His dead balls now are like a pretty shocking. He's quite slow. He can't really tackle. He's given away a couple of penalties already, I think. I mean, he he just looks a passenger. I think, as Gav said, he's he's the kind of player who you want to bring on on 78 minutes, 75 minutes when you need to keep a point or you need to, if you're 3-1 up or 2-1 up and you need someone to close the, gra- the game down. I've got you to know, say, like, for, for my part on this, I'll, it's a constant run and joke with me and my mates when we play FIFA. I think they've only just stopped doing it in FIFA 17, where the commentators would always say, if Seb Larson steps up, if there's a free kick, it would always be, and here's Sebastian Larson, one of the finest free kick takers in the game. And it's just like, no, he's not. He was once upon a time. But it's just, <laughs> it, it, it cracks me up every time I hear it. It's just like, Christ, change your commentary. And they did. Very recently, it only took them 10 years though. Do you, remember when, uh, do you remember when Dick Advocat brought him on the last minute when we had a free kick? He brought him on like some kind of American footballer punter. <laughs> it was incredible. I thought they were well. It would have been an amazing one of my favourite moments in football if it actually worked. But he hit the wall Wait, and they finished. You know what it is though. I remember when he first came to the club, and <clears throat> he was obviously coming in on the back of Birmingham getting relegated, and he was one of their more important players with Craig Gardner, wasn't he? And mm. um, he was renowned really for his set pieces and. And to be honest, and I, th- I think in that first season here, he, he scored four or five free kicks. He he was pretty solid on those. I remember him, I was at Peter Brown the cup, ironically third round the cup, um, when he scored a, a decent one. Then I'm scoring against Blackburn. He, he scored away. probably the, oh, the Arsenal one was outstanding. I right. so he, you know what he's got it in his locker. You don't just lose that ability to take one. Um, yeah, but why, you, you, one of my one of my points would be like, do you reckon? Everyone thought he was this phenomenal dead ball uh, specialist, but maybe he was more of a, like a match of the day highlights real kind of player. Where maybe because yeah. it's like it's like Ronaldo, isn't it? Ronaldo became renowned for being able to take free uh-huh. kicks, and then he went about six years without scoring one. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what that is. It may, maybe it's a confidence thing. You know, maybe he probably practice you, them anymore. Maybe if it's all this worry about relegation, I'm sure he does. That, sure, I'm sure he does. I'm sure we. I'm sure we'll work on set pieces every every day in training. I just don't think we're very good at them. Christ, Yesterday they were awful. Like, 
Well, they were awful yesterday again. I mean, um, I think Rory will probably touch on it in his tactics bit um, on the site Monday, but um, the set pieces were strange, um, particularly the corners. It was like we were trialling something new. Um, there seemed to be like three people in the box, and one of them wasn't Jill Abodji, which I found really strange. We were like playing a short corner and trying to get it in that way. Um, it didn't work at all. Like um, One in particular, we played a short corner and Burnley went straight up the other end and he scored from it. Um, so we need to knock that straight on the head. Like, but I don't get the thinking between, behind um, your biggest centre-half not going in the box to get on the end of a corner. Like, um, But again, they were poor. There was a couple where the, obviously Burnley had worked out what we were trying to do and they were closing down the space for the short corner. So uh, Larson was being forced into taking it normally and they weren't beating the first man. Um I find it rather strange, actually, that you've got somebody like that who he does have ability on set pieces because he has shown it while he's been here. Not enough, often enough, mm. but he has shown it. Um, I find it odd that you have a player like that, you have a manager like David Moyes, who is famed for his old-fashioned style of play. Um, Everton were good on corners, they always were. Yeah, we seem to be really poor on them. Every time we get a corner, I've got no confidence of anything happening. No, exactly very rarely does a Sunderland player... Well, very rarely does a Sunderland player get on the end of one of them for a start. Mm. Um, but and then you look at our team... Well, for most of the season, it's been like... Kone, Gillibodji, Anish Chibi. Um, you know, big lads who mm. should... Re- well, we saw from Kone last season, he was lethal from corners at times. Yeah. Yet, we don't seem to be a threat at all. I wonder if that's got anything to do with the... The, well, the non-inclusion of Kasri, really. Well, but um, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the trouble. We're definitely lacking something. I agree with you. When not just corners for me, it's just like all set pieces. I don't, I don't feel confident about free kicks. Do you know what I mean? I don't feel confident defending against set pieces. It all just seems like a right shambles at times. But I mean, you mentioned Kasri. Obviously, now we're going into the January transfer window. Kasri's not the only one I want to talk about. But um, how are we looking with him? What do we see a place for him in the team? No, 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 no. Hasn't he just been? <laughs> he just been stretched off as well tonight? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Apparently, yeah. yeah, that it's not as bad though. It's not as bad as first four. Well, that's um, that's nice to hear. I mean, it, to be, to, in my opinion, like I mean, there's we we spoke about it in the last three or four podcasts. I mean, if you can get any money for him now, sell him because obviously Moyes doesn't fancy him. What's the point in having a player who costs us nine million quid or whatever? And it's probably on forty grand a week. What's the point in having him here if he's not going to play him? Do we all rate him? Because I think he's pretty good. I like I, him. I, I do like him, but um, give us a ball away, but, though. Yeah, that's all. It's not as everyone. Yeah, yeah. We, it's not as if we've we've got a team full of players who don't give the ball away. You know what I mean? I think he's yeah. his qualities far outweigh his negatives. But Moyes apparently thinks he's lazy. Is what I've been told, oh, and dear, if Moyes if Moyes just doesn't like him, it's the same. Managers have players they don't like. It's clearly Kazri is that player because he's better than each other when he's needed. <laughs> well, there we go. You were talking about it earlier, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's all of them. Another one. Mm. But um, if he comes back fit, um, I'd be very, very surprised if he's still here come February the 1st or 2nd, whenever the window shuts. I think um, I think his time here is up. And it's a shame because he was such an important part of our survival last season. Um Again, he's got much more about him than than Moyes gives him credit for. But you know, Moyes is here for the long term. We've been told this more than enough times by the club. Um, if Moyes doesn't rate him, it's best he goes, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about that as well, like 
Now, with January transfers, I wouldn't mind seeing Kasri go. I think we can put a pin in that one, to be honest. That doesn't really trouble me. I've never really rated him that much anyway. I thought he had a bit of skill and talent to him, but I never thought he did anything for us. Never really ripped up any trees or anything like that. We've got this bid, as we all know now, as all Sunderland fans know, we received a bid for Jermaine Defoe from West Ham. It's fair to say that people have treated it <laughs> like it's been a real massive insult. They were, most Sunderland fans have taken it as like a, a kick in the guts from a club and a fan base that they feel is a little bit too entitled, maybe a little bit too big for their boots. I mean, what do we reckon? Was that actually a piss take? Were they, were they deliberately lowballing us, thinking that they would get away with it? Or was that just casting the feelers out for anyone and everyone? I admire their... Uh, the- like the balls to even say well here's six million it's like do you, do you want that or not and then to go to Hull and say well there's your best player do you want three million for him and then and then they go <laughs> didn't they go they offer like somewhere like ten million to Brentford for one of their best players which none of it made sense but yeah yeah well if they want to keep doing that well fair play to them I mean I know they had to send that Zaza back because the, uh, he played one more game and he had to spend like 18 million or something daft. <laughs> but like, I'll, never, West... I'll never forget his penalty kick. Well, I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, and Belich was gone. That's the guy for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but like, yeah, West Ham are they're a weird team, and I'm so happy that it's gone gone horribly wrong for them this year. I mean, on Friday Friday night was an absolute joy to watch them get absolutely murdered by <laughs> City because they got last season they were giving it all big and saying they're gonna leave leave the best ground in the world to go to this next best ground in the world that we've all paid for. And they said, oh, we're going to get Lacazette and whatever whatever other person and Payet's worth 50 million or whatever. Um, and then it's gone horribly wrong and it's been great. And, and yeah, well, if they want to pay 6 million for Defoe, then we'll have, I'll take a million and a half of Payet and then that Lanzini, so about a mil for him. And then... Um, I don't know. I just it was just absolutely ridiculous, and I'm glad. I'm, I knew he wasn't. I knew we weren't daft enough to sell the foe because that's just saying relegation. But I was. I actually calculated it, and if it would take it'd be something like fourteen point five million, that would just be to buy out of his contract if he's on eighty grand a week for two years. Obviously, it excludes bonuses and all that. But to go in with six million is just well, it's taking the piss really. And right, right, Tom, but do one. Yeah. So yeah, good luck to him the rest of the season. Um, we'll you probably can tell, end... you can tell we yeah. get a lot of joy as Sunderland fans because we take no, a lot no, of pleasure from others' misfortune. <laughs> and also the thing about West West Dam, it's one of the worst grounds I've ever been to. That new ground, awesome. and oh god, it's, it's awful. And then there was a big scrap outside at the end. But, uh... <laughs> it was awful, wasn't it? It was absolutely yeah, it was, it was absolutely awful. I'm sure we could cover it on an entire episode of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll stop going, ranting. Going back to the foe, <laughs> do we think that there's any possibility of losing him? Do we think anyone's going to meet that price? Do we think? I mean, obviously, no. he'll come out and said he's not for sale. No. He won't leave. No silly, I, silly bids coming in or anything like that. I think, I think it's an, it's it's just within the nature of a Sunderland fan to worry whenever a player's linked away because we saw what happened with Darren Bent. Um, but also at the same time, people should remember how we dealt with the Coney situation. It could he couldn't have made it more apparent he wanted to leave, and he's still here. Um, that was dealt with brilliantly from my from my perspective. I think, although we, we maybe could have considered selling him because the money would have been nice. Um, <clears throat> David Moyes just had to make a statement, say, "Look, no, you you don't hold the cards. We do. Sorry, you're going nowhere." Um, I think the difference being with Defoe is he clearly enjoys playing here. 
for the most part anyway, is as frustrating as it must be, him being the only quality player on his side of shite. Um, he does score a lot of goals, and um, he gets all these plaudits because he's the main man in a poor team. And at the age of 34, what more can he ask for, really? He goes to West Ham, he goes to, I don't know, Everton, places like that. He isn't going to be first choice, and he has to remember that, really. And I think he probably does. He's a pretty humble human being. He seems to be grounded. seems to be enjoying his time. At the age of 34, you're going to get 90 minutes anywhere else in the Premier League? Mm. Probably not. Um, And from our perspective, selling him pretty much confirms relegation, even if you got 30, 40 million for him, which you're not going to get. You get 40 million for Defoe, who's going to come here, who's of his quality. There's probably four strikers in this whole league who are as good as he is. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And that's not that's not me looking at it through red and white specs. He's far too good for us, even at his age. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's, he's a predator. Like it's it's fantastic to watch. Um, right, I suppose the final thing we should spend time talking about. We're obviously hosting Stoke City at Stadium Way uh, on Saturday. What do we make of this, James? What are we looking at? Are we expecting a, a tight battle between two, not necessarily relegation battle sides? But certainly nothing. No big club there, Stoke, are they? They've got some threats. No, they've got some good players, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, I was listening to 606 over the weekend and Stoke fans are certainly getting annoyed with Mark Hughes. Um, They think tactically he's quite poor. If you look at their results since, you'd say, December, I mean, they were very, very poor against Southampton. It was 0-0. They were 2-0 up against Leicester. Leicester were down to 10 men. Um, they chucked that away, it was 2 all. they got battered by Liverpool after going 1-0 up, uh, they got battered by Chelsea after coming going 2-1 up, they got beat by Wolves at the weekend um, I certainly wouldn't worry them, we traditionally play quite well against Stoke if I remember correctly, so I'd say bring them on, I mean I think if you can come out of the blocks the way we did against say Leicester at home, you know where we really really went pedal to the metal um, I'd I'd be really really optimistic. I, I I think we can get three points. I certainly think this is the kind of game where if we don't get three points, um, it will be an opportunity missed. Mm. Well, mate, how many times? Well, Tom, go on. Sorry. What do you think? I was going to say how many times have we heard that yeah, if we don't get three points? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm quietly confident about Saturday. Like uh, like you just touched on there, we've got we've got um, a very good home record against uh, Stoke. I don't think we've lost to them. I don't think we've ever lost to them at the stadium. Alive, not in the league, anyway. Um, That's yeah. it, jinxed. <laughs> sorry, I'm, well, sorry. Yeah, I put a bet on Stoke, and then I never, never win me bet. So, um, Do you know David Healy scored against them. That's how, oh, that's yeah. how good our record is. He that, was, he was Danny, shite, and even he scored. Danny Pugh punched off the line. So I recall. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Stoke are on a bit of a wobble. They're never going to be in danger or do, of dropping down, but because uh, the home form usually bails them out of it, or they just do enough. Uh, but yeah, I feel quietly confident. Um, it just take this Burnley game out of the equation, really. If we can, like James said, if we can start like we did against Leicester, then I, I'll have no problem. I don't see any problem with not getting a, uh, a victory. Um, just we don't want a repeat of. Uh, the bit of this game just gone, just laborious. We just need to go at him straight away. And if we do that, I think we might win. Yeah, what about you? What do you think's coming? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, as bad as it was this weekend in the cup, um, I wouldn't 
really take too much from it. The fact we got through 90 minutes, didn't concede. It's another home draw. I know it's not the league, but our form at home has been all right. One loss in six, and that loss was Chelsea, like we spoke about earlier. I think um, Stoke are turning up here on the back of a bad run, obviously, which means um, their confidence, confidence isn't there. Um, there's a bit of discontent about players and stuff. I think they're on about selling Boyan, which um, <clears throat> isn't going down well with the fans. Obviously, yeah. people are starting to question Hughes, you know. Things like that kind of factor in, especially away from home. Um, we've just got to be more confident in ourselves. I thought at the weekend we didn't do ourselves justice on that front. But we haven't had problems scoring goals this season. We haven't got the greatest scoring record. But at the same time, we all know that if you put a chance on a plate of Defoe, it's very rare he's going to miss it. So um, Stoke on the best defensively. I'm not scared of them at all. I think yeah. that... Um, I think that the one thing we've got to be wary of is allowing them down uh, the left our left hand side. I remember Shakiri torturance last season. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna count my chickens. I think anything more than I think a point wouldn't be a bad result. They they haven't had a bad season. They probably need another ten points in the safe, um, and you'd expect them to get that in the next eighteen games, wouldn't you? So. I think they're maybe in that little low period after Christmas, actually, which a lot of teams seem to suffer when they pick up points early doors where the time to take their foot off the gas and uh, inconsistency starts to creep in. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in that boat. I think I think if we, if we, if we start well and we show them that we're there for a win rather than sitting back like we've seen so many times this season, particularly away from home, we'll beat them it's it's all about the mind with Sunderland for me there's, yeah. there's a lot of quality in that team they just sometimes they don't know they've got it yeah I think like you, you look at Stoke and they've actually if you look at their season if just in isolation of 2016 they were actually very poor they would have they would have finished in and around the relegation places they they tend to start quite well and drop off um, I think you look at look at their goal scorers this season Joe Allen's got five other than that, you got a couple of players on three. Crouchy's up there. Um, if you can keep someone like Shakiri quiet, I mean, he's got three goals this season. One of them was an absolute wonder strike against Hull. But other than that, like, I, I, I don't see a lot of fight in that side. I reckon if you can get into them early doors, as we've said multiple times so far, I, I don't see the likes of Shakiri and Nautovic and Bojan and and especially Wilfred Boney. I mean, he's He's gutless at times. I think if you if you, if we get into them, there's there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Now to worry about. Fair enough. Well, that's pretty resounding then. So we all think we're going to get three points, which pretty much guarantees that we won't get three points, and that the next time we come <laughs> back to this, we'll be yeah we'll be pretty depressed. Right. Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us, lads. Uh, and to you, the listener, thanks for joining us. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us through iTunes and the Acast app. Uh, yeah, we'll see you again next Monday for the fallout from this undoubtable three points that these guys are talking about. I can't see it happening myself, to be honest. I think we'll make it really difficult and we'll probably end up with a draw. But that's just me being pessimistic because, again, Callum's not here. We'll welcome him back next week, hopefully, so he can be depressing instead of me. Uh, yeah, that's about it. So um, this is the Royal Court signing off.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.